This is R.J. Rushdoony, Easy Chair Number 361, April 30, 1996. This evening we have one of our staff members with us from Massachusetts, Sam Blumenfeld. Sam is an authority, of course, on education, and he has been termed by the National Education Association as public education's enemy number one, which is quite a compliment. Yes, indeed. He has indeed hurt them badly. He is an authority on phonics, a tremendous promoter the world over, of homeschooling. Sam, we're very happy to have you with us this evening. Well, I'm very happy to be with you, Rush, particularly at this occasion of your 80th birthday, which we celebrated last Saturday in, in San Jose. It was a very wonderful event. You, you made one uh, error, however. You said that I was... Um, I don't know if I am public enemy number one of public education. I think you are. <laughs> well, they call you number, yeah. number one enemy. Well, we also have with us tonight, I'm happy to say, a longtime friend and strong supporter of Calcedon from its earliest days, Mrs. Billy Welch, who is here from Prescott, Arizona, and... Uh, has a background in uh, public education as well as being a strong supporter of Christian education. Of course, we have Douglas Murray, Andrew Sandlin, and Mark Rushdoony uh, here also. We'll start off, Sam, by letting you introduce whatever aspect of education that you want us to discuss tonight. Yes. Well, since I uh, uh, spoke with you uh, last year on the uh, uh, Easy Chair tapes, a lot has happened in so-called education reform uh, in America and things that are really becoming very strange. Uh, For example, (laughs) a very interesting letter fell into the hands of our people. It was a letter written by a gentleman by the name of Mark Tucker to Hillary Clinton back in November of 1992, an 18-page letter on the letterhead of the National Center on Education and the Economy. (coughs) Excuse me. Mark Tucker, it turns out, is the architect. This this gentleman who was a left-wing, far-left socialist out of the Carnegie Corporation, uh, is the architect of Goals 2000, all of these programs, education reform programs, that are being promoted by Republicans. And uh, that came as a shock to me to discuss, because nobody knew where these programs had actually come from. I mean, you know, you hear of Goals 2000, and you assume that there's some group of academics or, or somebody uh, is writing this particular uh, uh, program, And then it turns out that it comes from this National Center on Education and the Economy and its predecessors out of the Carnegie Corporation, and that these people have um, 
uh, created an entirely new form of education for America called a human resources development system. In other words, now human beings in America or children are to be considered human resources. Uh, and uh, what that means is the children are like oil or gas or to be used by the economy. In other words, the purpose of education now is to take this human resource, mold it, shape it, and train it to be used to serve the economy rather than the other way around. In a free society, the economy serves the individual. In this case here, we're creating a new, entirely new education system in which the individual will serve the economy. As a matter of fact, <clears throat> Russia, I'm sure you remember that when you and I were going to back to school, uh, going to school back in the old days, uh, the schools felt that they had an obligation to teach us reading, writing, and arithmetic, basic academic skills, as well as to impart some significant knowledge in history and geography, etc. And then we were free to go out into the world and make our way. In this new system of human resources development, the, the state, the government, will plan your life for you. They will decide what you're good for, and they will track you. And all of this is going to be on this gigantic computer, all of this information about you, and you will be uh, just uh, treated as, as uh, anyone in a communist country. What we're getting here, what they have given us, is a Soviet type of education, career tracking, in which you are very early in your life, they decide what you are good for. And there are three tracks. There's the, there's the uh, academic track for the elite, those people who will be running things, you know, like Hillary and Billary. Uh, they go to Yale, Harvard, and that sort of thing. Then there's the professional track for people who want to become doctors and lawyers and artists and anchor persons. And then there's the uh, third track, which is for everybody else, you see. And you will be uh, told what to do. You will be uh, sent along certain paths that, that uh, are outlined for you because everybody will have an individual education plan. Everybody will have an individual health plan. So socialized medicine comes into the, into the United States through the back door of education. And um, <clears throat> that's what we're going to get. And... Uh, Mark Tucker sums it up in his letter very nicely in a, uh, in a few lines, and let me just read to you those, those two lines, and you will see exactly what he means. He says, uh, he says, what is essential is that we create a seamless web of opportunities to develop one's skills that literally extends from cradle to grave and is the same system for everyone, young and old, poor and rich, worker and full-time student. In other words, it's totally egalitarian, and they will uh, they will care for you from cradle to grave. Uh, now, <clears throat> it's interesting that in back of this plan, not only do you have the Republican Party, which is sort of you know it, it's, it's shocking to believe that the so-called conservatives are backing this plan, <clears throat> but you have this coalition of a big business, big government big education and big labor who are in back of this plan which they want to impose on the American people which will drastically change our way of life and I call that system fascism mm -hmm. now Rush you're very good at defining words am I correct am I yes how would you define fascism in this case 
fascism is uh, disguised uh, communism or socialism. Mussolini was the founder of fascism and he was a Marxist. But being uh, more of more than average intelligence, Mussolini early on realized that uh, the people would never buy Marxism, that they wanted not a socialized state, but one in which they could have private property, own their own home or their own farm. So he thought the way to do it was to bring in Marxism under the pretense of a free society. Private ownership, but so taxed that really you were paying rent on the property to the state. So controlled that you could make no decision. A bureaucrat or a regulatory agency made all the uh, decisions. And so on and on. Precisely what we have today in the United States and in every country in the world. Fascism is disguised Marxism. Well, fascism, of course, extends its control to education, to the family, to every area of life yes. and thought. Well, in this case here, the key to the control of the individual in, in this new education system will be this centralized uh, data gathering uh, system with the computer uh, in Washington, D.C. And, and I was able to get the two handbooks uh, that outline the kind of information that they will be gathering on every individual. And that includes, uh, uh, you know, religion, for example. You know, when you and I were going to school, they didn't even want to know what our religion was. I don't recall when I entered public school, all they wanted to know was my name and address <coughs> and my parents' names and address and my birth date. I don't recall their ever asking for any more information. But now... They not only know, <coughs> they want to know your religious background, and here are the categories in this uh, particular computer: the Amish, Assembly of God, Baptist, Buddhist, Calvinist, Catholic, Eastern Orthodox, Episcopal, Friends, Greek Orthodox, Hindu, Islamic, Jehovah's Witnesses, Jewish, Latter-day Saints, Lutheran, Mennonite, Methodist, Pentecostal, Presbyterian, other Christian denomination. Seventh-day Adventist, Tao, mm -hmm. none, and other. Mm -hmm. If you notice, no, the universal, Unitarian Universalists are not listed. I suppose they're none or other. But why this interest in knowing specifically what denomination you are? Because if you're a Calvinist, they will know that you have a particular worldview. Or if you're a Seventh-day Adventist, Adventist, they'll know that you have a particular worldview. So that's the kind of private information they're going to uh, 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 acquire in this huge uh, computer system. Also, they want, they will have, <coughs> uh, the data on students will also include extensive assessment information. And under assessment type, these are the assessments that they list. Achievement test, advanced placement test, aptitude test, attitudinal test. And this is how they describe the attitudinal test. An assessment to measure the mental and emotional set or, or, uh, or patterns of likes and dislikes or opinions held by a student or a group of students. This is often used in relation to considerations such as controversial issues or personal adjustments, unquote. This is from their data handbook. 
Then they have a whole area on uh, on uh, health, uh, and uh, which indicates that everyone's going to get an, uh, an individual health plan. And they're particularly interested in your teeth for some strange reason. Now, let me give you an idea of the information that they have listed under their codes uh, about your oral health, number of teeth, number of permanent teeth lost, number of teeth decayed, number of teeth restored, occlusion condition with subcategories normal occlusion, mild malocclusion, moderate malocclusion, severe malocclusion, gingival condition with uh, subcategories normal, mild deviation, moderate deviation, severe deviation, oral soft tissue condition with subcategories normal, mild deviation, moderate deviation, severe deviation, dental prosthetics, and orthodontic appliances. That's more than any of us know about ourselves, let alone our children. Yes. Well, why does the government want to get into your mouth? What is the purpose of this, you see? Yeah, I, I thought of this and I thought, well, why do they want to know so much about your teeth? And then I thought, well, the only way that they could identify David Koresh after the, uh, the burning at, at, uh, in Waco was through his teeth. And obviously they want to make sure that they get the people they want. I mean, that's the only, that's the only rationale I can possibly come to in why they want all of this information on, on teeth. You know, and, and you read this, and, and, and uh, if you, you say something about it, they'll say, well, you're paranoid. Well, let me ask you, were, were the Jews in Germany in 1933, were they paranoid? Were the anti-communists in Russia in 1917, were they paranoid? You know, it's too bad that Tsar Nicholas wasn't paranoid enough, mm -hmm. because then he and his family would have escaped the, uh, the horrible uh, fate that befell them. What I'm saying is this is what's being legislated by our Republican Congress. Yes. And Nancy Kassebaum is a sponsor of it, and um, Goodling and other conservatives are sponsors of this thing. How do you explain that, Rush? Can you explain it to me? Uh, all I can say is neither party is conservative. Neither party wants any connection with Christian faith and culture. They may occasionally pay lip service to what we represent, but both are hostile. I mean, is Nancy Kassebaum a fascist? I mean, apparently, if this is what she wants, and if this is what she's backing, I mean, doesn't she know what she's doing? The daughter of Alf Landon? I think they don't want to know in too many cases, I'm afraid. But, th but this is just horrible, you see. And so we've been fighting this, and it's, it's like being voices in the wind because the two bills that are presently before Congress that are in committee, actually in committee, were passed overwhelmingly by conservatives last fall. They've been sitting now in, in the... Uh, committee waiting for this reconciliation, you know, when they have their, uh, the House and the Senate get together to create one bill, and all of a sudden they find that there's opposition, because we've gotten hold of copies of the bills, we've read them, we see how horrible they are, 
And now there's a battle going on among the Republicans between those who have suddenly found out what is going on. As a matter of fact, Henry Hyde, Representative Henry Hyde, who became aware of the Mark Tucker letter to Hillary Clinton. And incidentally, Hillary Clinton, who was on Mark Tucker's board of directors before Clinton became president, uh, Mark Tucker paid Hillary Clinton $100,000 to promote this education program. And this is the program that's being promoted by so-called conservatives in Congress. So something very strange is happening. Something is being put over on us. Yes. And they're, they're trying to do it as quickly as possible because that's why they had this meeting in uh, Palisades, New York, whereby IBM, the president of IBM, Gerstner, got together with the governors and said, we've got to get this through. Uh, in fact, the new law will give all power to the governors. They are going to circumvent the uh, legislatures. They're going to circumvent school boards. And everything will be done through from the federal government to the governors directly to the schools. Uh, this is a coup d'etat. This is a virtual mm -hmm. overthrow of the American form of government and, and the system. And that's why, uh, at this point, the only thing that you can say about public education is that we've got to get rid of it. Mm, that's right. You know, we've got to get the government out of the yeah, education business. That's right. You see. Well, this is an example, not of education, but of social engineering. Yes, yes. And I think a lot of people don't uh, recognize that fact, that the schools today are not primarily in the education business, they're in the social engineering business. Yeah. And Mark Tucker is a social engineer, and his staff, all of these people who are in the universities and the so-called education labs who are putting this thing together. As a matter of fact, in the state of Washington, they've, they've already outlined a means of getting homeschoolers into the system mm -hmm. because they're concerned that the homeschoolers are outside the system. They want everybody in the system. It's called the school-to-work uh, uh, workforce plan and the lady in charge of it in Washington is, is somebody by the name of J.D. Hoy and she was asked about this business of how it, inclusive it is and she said all means all you see mm. then also they are exploring the means of using barcoding uh, to track uh, children so we're headed for the uh, George Orwell's uh, world of... Are they going to tattoo the barcodes on us? <laughs> God knows, maybe they will, but, but they are going to use barcoding. And in fact, there's a company in, the Washington, in Washington, in the Seattle area, called uh, Diploma Technologies, mm. which is working on a barcoding system whereby they will track uh, children through this. And incidentally, uh, through the education system, incidentally, this data... A gathering system is already being uh, used in some states. For example, the other day in the airport, I picked up a newspaper from the Jackson, Mississippi. And on the front page was this story, Schools to Put Student Records Online. And it's all about the efforts of the Department of Education of Mississippi to do exactly what is in that uh, those... Uh, uh, guidebooks, those data handbooks. So it's being done all over the country by stealth, and, and they're telling parents, oh no, it's wonderful, you know, don't worry about it. Uh, the information will never get into the wrong hands. Where have you heard that before? That's right. You know? 
I mean, the government is going to have all this information on every single individual in a gigantic computer in Washington. Who is going to own that information? Is it public information? They say, well, access to it will be, you know, carefully guarded. And then when you read the people who have access to it, you find out that just about anybody who wants to will have access to it. And that's true anyway. Even even uh, people nowadays know how to get into computers. Oh, yes. You know, regardless of, of code words or passwords or that sort of thing. So this is what we're looking forward to. This is this is the kind of thing that we're being given by our so-called conservatives in Congress, a, a, a system of education that is uh, fascistic, socialistic, and is going to change America at the same time into that highly controlled, centralized uh, 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 state via the use of this information gathering system in the computer, because that's how they're going to control everybody. They're going to have all of this information on a computer. Mm -hmm. They'll know everything about you there is to know. And uh, what freedom will you have? Uh, any questions now? Billy, do you want to start? Yeah. Or comments? comments I'll, I'll make one comment. Um, in uh, Prescott and the surrounding area, they have about three or 350 to 400 homeschoolers. And so one of the ways that the state is going to uh, take control of these homeschoolers is through what they call a charter school system yes. and it just came online just this last year and uh, I don't know all of the details of it but I have heard from people that this is one of the ways they're going to get the homeschoolers uh, sucked into this charter school thing so that they can get money and then they can get tabs on how many and what they're doing and as I see it right now, this is another means of controlling the homeschoolers. Within the past year, Gene Newman wrote an article in the Cal Seton Report on these charter schools and the threat they pose. Douglas? Well, if this method of controlling education didn't work for the Soviet Union uh, and it broke them and it's breaking us, um, I fail to see how much further it can go before it falls of its own weight. Uh, I, I grant you it looks dire in the near term, but you know how much can this country can afford? They just approved an increase in the debt ceiling to five and a half trillion dollars and rising, and there's obviously no political will to reduce spending, and historically there's been a change in the government of every country in history that's ever tried to tax its people more than 50%, and we're at around 48 and a half now. Mm -hmm. uh, I frankly <coughs> don't see how they're going to be able to afford to implement all of this, because no socialist country, no communist country, no fascist country has ever stood this kind of control for very long without falling of its own weight. Oh, yeah. It's simply unaffordable. Well, you know, you're absolutely right. Uh, they tried communism in the Soviet Union for 75 years. It didn't work, but an awful lot of people were killed in the process. An awful lot of damage was done, an awful lot of casualties. It's the same thing here. I don't believe that this system will ever really work. 
I believe that it will finally fall on its face because the American people will rebel against it. And uh, But at the same time, a lot of children are going to be ruined. Uh, a lot of money is going to be spent on needless things. You see, what's happened is this. We have all of these graduate schools of education that create all of these graduates who need jobs. And so the government sets up these labs, you know, the Elementary and Secondary Education Act of 1965 set up this system of educational labs, regional labs all over the country. You've got one in northwest uh, in Seattle called Newarell, and then you've got one in the Denver area called McCrell, that's the, uh, uh, the mid-continent. Uh, and all these people do is work on these plans, you see. so. Uh, they have a vested interest in simply keep on planning and planning and planning. <coughs> Eventually, you get to the point where you've got to start implementing your plans. Now, Mark Tucker has been very clever. He wrote that letter to Hillary Clinton in order to get Clinton to start implementing this, to get the legislature to pass laws. Uh, and, of course, they've had problems. Republicans have objected to Goals 2000. But at the same time, they've, they don't seem to know what they're doing. They've tried to repeal other parts of this. They've tried to defund it. But nevertheless, this is the plan. In Mississippi, they're already putting in the computer thing. In, in the state of Washington, <coughs> excuse me, they're way ahead. So in the long run, I don't believe that it will succeed. But nevertheless, an, an enormous amount of damage and waste will have uh, taken place. And what they were when something doesn't work, they just decide they want to replace it with something else. There's already starting to be um, attention on the failures of whole language, but they don't know what they want to go back to or what they want to go forward to. So they'll just change gears. Yes. And these so-called uh, reforms are coming with with more rapidity. Each time one is it's apparent that one isn't going to work, they say, well, let's shift gears, let's do something else. But that's, that's a sign that they're losing control and they don't know. When they can't admit defeat, when they can't go back to what works, to me, that's a sign that, you know, we're close to the end of the cycle, that it will collapse of its own weight. Mm -hmm. uh, people, the average guy in the street looks around, person in the street looks around and doesn't see results. They see... I mean, people at the bottom of the socioeconomic scale uh, have seen their own kids coming out of uh, school with a worthless piece of paper called a diploma just for uh, holding down a chair for four years in high school, and they're beginning to figure it out. I mean, when the people at the bottom of the ladder start figuring it out, it can't be too long before the system caves in. Well, let's hope that that's what happens. You know, take, for example, California where your own Department of Education admitted, confessed, that whole language has been a disaster. They admit it. So now they, what have they got on their hands? They, they put a whole language in, and I think it was 1987. So you've got nine years of kids from first grade now in the ninth grade, all of whom have been miseducated. Uh, do they have any plans to remediate these kids? How are they going to remediate them? What are they going to substitute the whole language with? We just don't know. They're, they're not going to do anything. They're going to write them off, Sam, because the mindset of these people, as you pointed out, 
I have heard educators myself refer to a high school as a plant. Mm -hmm. Not yes. a learning or facility or teaching facility. They refer to it as a plant. So these kids are going to be written off as manufacturing defects. You know, they, they, it's quality right. control time. They're going to. When we look at uh, the achievements of men of note, we find very often that some of them were failures in their schooling. If there had been this type of thing in Churchill's day, he would have been put down as uh, retarded or of limited intelligence because he did so badly in his school uh, years. There are many cases like that. Now, on the other hand, with this type of system in the Soviet Union, it did produce... Uh, a weeding out so that you had those with a higher order of intelligence. However, about 20 years ago, I talked to an American, uh, to uh, a, a Soviet school teacher on the high school level. Uh, this woman was appalled by the caliber of American teaching. She felt that much that was uh, on the university level, say in the sciences, which was her field at Stanford, was uh, high school stuff at, at its best in the Soviet Union. Mm -hmm. They were so advanced and they had weeded out all but the best. However, what we do know is that the weeding out process weeded out a lot of initiative. It weeded out rebellious students who fell to the bottom so that this type of uh, tracking, while it supposedly is going to produce the best and separate them for a particular purpose, it will produce those who can meet the grade as far as the system is concerned, but they will be the... Uh, cooperative, mm -hmm. compliant, submissive persons, not the entrepreneurial type, not the rebellious type. That's right. So there's a great danger to a society in this sort of thing. It will work to produce a Soviet type of uh, leadership. Which is what it's meant to do. Yes. Uh, because they don't want truly educated people. What they want are manageable, trainable people who can be trained to do specific jobs for the economy or to serve the state's needs. In the Soviet Union, it produced the nomenclatura, the yes. uh, bureaucracy. And increasingly, our country is being bureaucratized so that we're producing the faceless anonymous person who does what he's told, pushes the right button, and pushes us around yes. because he has power. I remember reading somewhere about uh, tracking of uh, geniuses over about a 20-year period. And these people who are, had, who are certifiable geniuses actually had quite mediocre, I guess you could say, uh, track records. Mm -hmm. Many of them held rather menial jobs because there was 
they always felt that they were cut above everything and everything was beneath them and for various reasons they didn't rise to the top the people who rise to the top in capitalism and in a free economy are the people ha- that have initiative that people who who see a need and they mm-hmm. fulfill it and they want to rise a little higher on on the ladder and they work to do it um, a sister a system that manages people to try to find their niche is going to institutionalize this idea that you can't rise any higher this is where you belong this is what's best suited for you the whole idea of mm-hmm. of uh, career counseling to push someone into a career doesn't take into account what they really want and what yeah. and what what you're good at isn't necessarily what you want to do and what you put your heart into when you when you mention Gerstner's name from IBM uh, they're not exactly a paragon of uh, performance. Uh, they've re- they almost lost their company. Uh, That's true. And in fact, what uh, Mark Tucker uh, was going to use as his model was Germany. And of course, Germany now has a horrendous unemployment problem with all of their apprenticeships, with all of their tracking. They've got a horrible uh, problem now, and, and they're going to possibly be in decline. Well, hasn't wow. Japan done somewhat the same thing? Uh, they have a saying in Japan, the nail that sticks up gets hammered down. Yeah. So they they, uh, they dissuade uh, the risk takers, uh, the entrepreneurial types, and they have no Nobel Prize winners. They are innovators, but not inventors of new technology. But that's a social thing with them. That's part of their culture rather than something that's imposed. The way they want to impose this on America, you see. Yeah, but why, well, I, I wonder why would they accept, why would the Japanese after World War II ex- accept uh, Deming's revolutionary, well, to them, which was a revolutionary concept of yeah. industrialization and management and not... Uh, Except a change in their educational system. It's very interesting you mentioned Deming because uh, we have total quality of management now in the schools. And if you apply Deming's uh, rules, you, ha- you have first the, um, the producer, the, uh, uh, the product, and then the, con- and then the buyer or the consumer. And when it's you apply to the school, the producer is the school is the plant the product is the student the customer is the corporation that's going to hire the student you see the parent as a consumer is out of the picture completely because the individual is being treated like a product human resources development system you see so it works perfectly applying Deming's plan to the schools I'm sure that Deming would not have approved of that because it you don't apply it to human beings, you apply it to products. But our our uh, educationists want to apply it to a human beings. I see an ominous thing on the horizon, uh, uh, jokingly, better living through chemistry. You know, they've announced on television this fat pill in the last couple of days which switches off the craving for food. And... Uh, some scientist got on there and was uh, glowing about the idea of behavior modification through chemistry. Oh, yeah. And I can see the, the milk and graham crackers of the uh, grammar school kids mm-hmm. now in the public mm-hmm. education institutions being uh, laced with all sorts of chemicals to uh, sure. alter and control their behavior. Well, we have had... Uh, 
first steps towards this kind of tracking uh, input into education. Under Johnson, we had a recession that particularly hit aerospace and various other uh, related industries. And immediately on college campuses, uh, the students were being told what fields, beginning with engineering, to stay out of because we're seriously overcrowded in this field. And uh, countless students were really pushed out of their natural area of interest. What they didn't realize is that there were unknown technological developments that were going to create a greater need for engineers in a short time than existed at the time. So all those engineers who were laid off were quickly absorbed. But meanwhile, students were deflected to other fields and it was too late for them to jump back into their natural inclination. Well, that's this business of trying to manage the economy, which all of this is about. But it's also part of this uh, natural, uh, I think, tendency on the part of human beings, elitists, to create a pyramidal type of society in which you have an elite at the very top that rules, Mm -hmm. and, and we know who they are. They're sitting in Washington today, all the Rhodes Scholars, and uh, they're they're friends. The second level beneath them are the professionals, like the nomenclatura, that gain power and prestige from the uh, top, and then, you know, all the psychophants. And then below them you have everybody else. That's a pyramidal society. That's what we're headed toward uh, as we depart from the American system of doing things. As I explained earlier, when I was going to school and when Rush was going to school back in the 30s, they only want to know our name and address and our, uh, and you know, your parents' names and address and our birth date. That was about it. And they weren't interested in, in reorganizing our minds or our attitudes or our religions or anything like that. They wanted to add to what we already brought to school with, you see. And uh, so we were very grateful to our teachers because they gave us something. They added to our lives. They didn't take something away from us. They didn't take precious values away from us and try to remold us into the kind of robots that they're trying to do with today's kids through all of this behavior modification, etc. But even then, you could see that the uh, progressives were beginning to have their (coughs) input. For example, when I was in junior high school, we had a room, a corner room in the school building, which was called the open-air classroom. And that's where the windows were not the guillotine type, but the kind that, you know, that you could open and flat out. Mm -hmm. Uh, The theory in those days is that if you were, something was wrong with you, that a lot of fresh air would cure you. And so uh, I was a little underweight. And so they uh, suggested to my mother that I ought to be put into this open-air classroom. So I was put into this open-air classroom, and I was miserable. I was there with a bunch of misfits. And somehow the idea that if all the windows were open, that was one of these crazy ideas that the progressives had. 
And I know Russ was explaining to us earlier how they gave him a test and then put him in a special class. Could you tell us that horrendous story? Oh, yes. Well, it is well known that in IQ tests, if you are foreign-born, you will not do as well. If you are rural in your background, you will not do as well because the test is urban in its orientation. Well, here I was of a foreign background and a country boy. In a city, that put me at a handicap. I was, uh, I think, in the fifth grade when I was given a test, and I was the best student in the classroom. And I came out as a dunce, the stupid one. And I was immediately put into a class with a lot of retarded students, or (coughs) supposedly retarded. And I found that as I raised my hand to answer the question, the other kids would get angry and they'd say, we're supposed to be stupid. Keep your mouth shut and your hand down. And... I was, oh, after about four or five days in the hallway, and the teacher spotted me, and she got a hold of me and pulled me to the side of the hall, away from the other students, and said, how are you doing in that classroom? And I told her I was miserable. I wasn't learning anything. I hated it. I was very intense about it. So she said, come with me, and she grabbed me by the arm and took me to the principal's office, an older, very severe woman. And she told the woman, this is the best student in my class, and those stupid tests have led to him being reclassified and put in the class with the supposedly or actually retarded students. And she said, this is an injustice to him, It's an injustice to me because I was enjoying him in my class. Uh, The principal was very, very huffy and indignant. And she made remarks, frankly, about what I had to be, no matter what the teacher said, Mm -hmm. that deeply hurt my feelings. She acted as though I had no feelings because I was too stupid to know what she was saying. So the teacher exploded, ticked off the principal, and said, I'm taking this boy back to my class. If you want to make an issue of it, I'm going to fight you on this. But if not, you change whatever needs to be changed in your office because he is from now on in my class. Well... For whatever reason, the principal, although she was very angry and huffy, did nothing about it. Mm-hmm. And I went back there. But uh, that's what comes of this type of tracking. Well, those are the days of the early progressive uh, uh, experiments in the schools with intelligence tests, yeah. IQs, that those came out of IQ teachers' tests. colleges. You know, yeah. they came out of the Teachers' College of New York. Thorndike was involved in all of that testing. And um, 
And, and that's a result of the takeover of American education by psychologists, by behavioral psychologists, which began early in this century with James McKean Cattell, Thorndike, uh, J.B. Watson, and others that, uh, who you write about very eloquently in your book, uh, The Messianic Character of American Education, that there was this wholesale takeover of this system by the psychologists, and it's never been the same since then. They have literally ruined education and turned it into a form of therapy, behavior modification, uh, brainwashing, anything but uh, academic education. Well, they, they wow. also created a whole new avenue of jobs for themselves. Oh, in those days, there was no school psychologist. I mean, if you had a school nurse, you were in pretty good shape. Nowadays, they've got a whole battery of people there standing by, grief counselors, psychologists, uh, mentally, you know, supposedly they have classes for mentally gifted minors. Well, that's to level them off, to get them down to the same level as everybody else. They don't get any special attention. Well, all the way through school, every time they had an IQ test, I cringed, I resented them so. Uh, little by little I came up as I was longer in the school systems and in my senior high school year, early in the year, I tested out at 118 and uh, Mr. Vanneman, the uh, chemistry teacher who gave the test, uh, was disappointed. She said, you did not do well. And I said, I never do well on these tests, and I hate them. But uh, it's the same kind of thing. It isn't performance that counts. It's their testing. And the tests are supposed to be virtually infallible. There's an arrogance involved in all, all, of, all of this. All social planning involves an arrogance that they never seem to want to own up to. And it's true in many fields. When an evolutionist, they throw out one evolutionary theory, and because it's proved to be ridiculous, they'll come up with another one to explain the same thing. When medicine decides that they've been wrong for 20 years, and they go on to a different idea. They never say we may be wrong. Still, uh, let's be careful here. It's no. Now we found out why we were wrong, and it's this way across the board in education. I know a lot of. I've, I've run into a lot of people of my um, generation who went to school, let's say, in the 60s, and their teachers told their parents that your child isn't extremely retarded, but he's just mildly retarded. That's why he's not doing well in school. Later, it was dyslexia. Everyone was who couldn't learn was dyslexic. Right. And then ADD came in, oh, and yeah. it's the, the latest fashionable problem explanation of why a child is having problems. Now they're going to try to plan the whole child's life, and when that doesn't work, they figure, well, we'll move on to something else. And whether it's whole language, this, that. Let's just just keep changing the program. Let's never admit that we're incompetent, and that this is probably not going to work either. We're the experts, and if when we change, we're still the experts. And when we change our minds again, we're still the experts. Exactly. Well, if they admit defeat, they're out of a job. No, no, you're absolutely right, Mark, because that's how they manage to maintain the funding for the system, is to, because of the American people have very short memory. They can't remember why this particular reform was put in place. And when it fails, they're, to they're told, 
well, you just haven't given us enough money, you see. It was poorly financed and it was poorly implemented. As a matter of fact, the other day I was listening to uh, uh, John Kenneth Galbraith, who was being interviewed on radio in the Boston area, and he said, he said, there is no problem that money can't solve. (laughs) I mean, that's the first shibboleth that's been handed down by the liberals Mm-hmm. You know, and so that's their their line is just mm-hmm. give us more money, and the American people, suckers as they are, buy it because they don't want to really delve into these things. And they say, okay, give them more money if that'll shut them up. You know, give them more money. But uh, but who knows? Maybe we're reaching that fifty percent. Uh, Billy, have you found in your past experience uh, a problem with administrators? trying to push teachers uh, in the direction they want them to go? Well, in the Prescott area now, um, they're so top-heavy in administration that um, they feel so much money is spent on this that there's an upheaval in the whole community. They just... uh, turned down a bond issue here just a few weeks ago and uh, the teachers wanted uh, another million dollars or something and they were going to be able to keep some extra counselors and this teacher and that teacher and most of them were just, they're just superfluous to uh, the whole system. I mean, they're things that that you don't need. It's not reading, writing and arithmetic anymore. It's the counselors and and, uh, they have... uh, a maternity lab for the girls that are pregnant that are coming to school. Um, there's so many different programs, and the administration, they're all for this. I mean, they're trying to add as many people as they possibly can, but there is, in my community, there's a total rebellion uh, against all this excess money being spent and also the unnecessary teachers and counselors and consultants. There's mm-hmm. consultants on every level. I mean, the poor teachers, if they were just left to teach. I think my biggest gripe was uh, instead of teaching, they you we had a, a period that we were supposed to prepare our assignment for the next day. And when I left teaching, um, they the counselors were calling all the teachers in for, say, one teacher had a problem child. And instead of just that teacher and the problem child and the administrator, they would have everybody come in and they'd give all this input. And and by the time uh, the week was over, you had no time for preparation at all because you were spending all your time either before school or after school with all these problem children. And the administration, they go along with it. Talk about being top-heavy. A few years ago, there was a, an initiative on the <coughs> ballot to uh, to uh, create, what did they call it, uh, vouchers, uh, which for various other reasons I wasn't uh, in favor of. But the idea was that a private school would be able to get vouchers from the mm-hmm. state and that this, this, for, for each student enrolled, you would get a voucher equal to what uh, a portion of what the uh, public schools got for a student. And uh, in the course of the debate, it was revealed that 
for each student enrolled in a public school, the state gave about, spent about $5,000 or $5,400. And they're complaining about classroom overcrowding. Now, if the state spends $5,000 a year on a student, and they're complaining about crowded classrooms with 30 children in a classroom, there's $150,000 going to those children in that one classroom. That should not only be enough to pay the teacher an excellent salary, it should be enough to, to provide for improvements and upgrading mm -hmm. of the, the school um, facilities themselves in the buildings. Mm -hmm. uh, instead, you have this huge county board of education, all these other various programs they're required to spend money on, and they can't they can't manage. So they're right. they're obviously quite toppy heavy there. They should be right. they should be they're rolling in the dough. It's not getting into the classroom in many no. instances. That that's 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 true. But that's an administrative problem that needs to be resolved. Well, the, the numbers in California are. Uh, a little strange, but the people don't get a chance to put it together. Tonight on television, they announced that California is 10th from the bottom in uh, the amount of money spent per pupil. But we also spend about half of the total budget of the state on education. So who's getting the money? Exactly. Well, it's the bureaucrats, the, uh, the top-heavy administration. The money is all going there. It's it's not going for the yeah. direct education, and then there really is no true education going on in today's schools. I venture to say that they really are not learning anything. They're being brainwashed, and uh, so um, and it's all phony. For example, when they talk of of literacy, they have no intention of teaching intensive systematic phonics. Let me just go down, for example, the goals 2000. Billy, you wanted to know what they, what these goals were. Well, the first goal was by the year 2000, all children in America will start school ready to learn. What does that mean? I mean, we were ready to learn when I was going to school back in the 1930s. You didn't need a special program for that. By the year, uh, by the year 2000, the high school graduation rate will increase to at least 90%. Well, what is that supposed to mean? I mean, no more dropouts, or we're going to keep the dropouts in school until they graduate, we'll just give them a paper. You know, that's graduation. You give them a sheet of paper, it says you graduated. Third goal, by the year 2000, American students will have demonstrated competency over challenging subject matter and will be prepared for responsible citizenship, further learning, and productive employment. What that means is they'll know all about the environment, they'll know all about ecology, they'll know all about what's politically correct, you see, <clears throat> and they'll be able to um, be uh, put into productive employment because they will be trained uh, to do so. The fourth goal is the U.S. students will be the first in the world in math and science by the year 2000. That's four years from now. They're going to accomplish that. Is that a realistic goal? They have a messianic complex. Yes. <laughs> Fifth goal, by the year 2000, every adult American will be literate and ready to compete in, the, in a global economy. Well, the Department of Education told us that there are 90 million Americans with substandard reading skills, 40 million of whom are functionally illiterate. And you mean in four years they're going to bring everybody up to literacy? You could see how phony all of this is. <clears throat> Number six, by the year 2000, every school in America will be free of drugs and violence. <laughs> what a... 
you know, what a dream that is. I mean, it's impossible. Drugs are increasing in use. And as long as you have public schools, you will have drugs. That's the marketplace. I mean, the Medellin cartel does not go to, to your Rexall drug chain to, to sell drugs. They go to the schools. Well, our time is up now. Uh, thank you all for listening, and thank you, Sam, for so telling an analysis. Thank you, Rush.